0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked, where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from crypto finance to global macroeconomics. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. Hey, Unstackers, hope you guys are well and keeping safe. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Crypto Unstacked. A bit of Amber news to kick off the episode. Amber Group held a press conference to celebrate the official launch of the Amber app. We brought together clients, partners, and media to present our long term vision for where the company is headed in the coming year. It's been a year of transition for many, including us at Amber. But we've utilized the past few months to really fine-tune our core values, mission, and strategy. And we are so excited to offer a full-stack crypto finance platform to service a much wider base of institutional and individual crypto users like yourselves. So if you haven't already, come check us out on ambergroup.io. That's A-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-U-P.io and download the Amber app today to experience an easy way to trade, invest, and finance crypto. With that out of the way, let's hop into our conversation this week with Sherilyn Wu. She's the Chief Investment Officer at Huobi Global and leads the firm's DeFi Labs group. In this episode, Sherilyn shares her views on the information-symmetric world of DeFi and the two logic holes she believes need to be improved upon before we see DeFi 2.0. We talk about AMM designs and the advantages of utilizing a decentralized price oracle and what it means for getting more accurate pricing as well as for pricing risk. Again, thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this episode. Sherlyn, welcome to Crypto Unstacked. Thanks so much for joining me on the pod. Thank you,
1: Leslie, for having me.
0: Sherilyn, allow me to introduce you very quickly to our audience. You're the Chief Investment Officer at Huobi Global. Prior to Huobi, you spent three years leading the blockchain investment arm at China Merchant Bank International, also known as CMBI, the overseas branch of one of the largest Chinese banks. Mm-hmm. You are responsible for CMBI's investments into blockchain projects, Mm -hmm. such as BitPi, a crypto wallet, and Nervos, which is a public blockchain. Mm -hmm. And prior to CMBI, you spent a decade at UBS as a banker. Um, So after a long storied career as a banker, Sherilyn, uh, many people would say that you took a major risk going into crypto full time. Do you see it that way or... Is it more of a natural, expected next step for you in your career?
1: Yeah, that's, you know, very interesting and exciting journey for me coming along from traditional finance to crypto. Uh, When I joined China Merchant Bank International, I actually led fintech investment for the bank. And then I found out crypto and I just didn't want to do anything else. And uh, it's sort of the feeling that you see internet is coming. And uh, there's no point to invest in companies that help the news publisher to do information system. Right. So, you know, I just dedicated uh, basically all my time into crypto and want to learn more around this and to see what changes this can bring to the world and also the financial system.
0: And when you were at the bank, what did you rely on to do the type of due diligence required to invest into blockchain projects? Who is around you to kind of help you build your understanding of the ecosystem?
1: I think I sort of, you know, build up that investment arm uh, for blockchain and the crypto by myself. So I build up a small team and uh, equip myself with the capabilities around understanding of the underlying technical aspect and also the economic aspect of crypto and DeFi. The more we got into it, we continue to build up the team with the knowledge structure and the capabilities to understand this and to diligence around the projects, and also more importantly, to understand the culture of decentralized community. That's a big shift for myself and also my team at CMBI.
0: And earlier this year, you helped to establish the DeFi Labs arm of Huobi, which sits under the Huobi global umbrella. DeFi Labs focuses on three primary topics. One is DeFi research, The second is investing and incubating projects. and The third is ecosystem development. And one of your core crypto beliefs is that DeFi is the first attempt in human history to build a modern financial system without credit risk. How do you envision an entire financial system developing without credit risk? What does
1: that look like for you? Mm. I think, you know, this is complicated and a systematic issue. Right. There are two types of risks in finance, namely credit risk and the volatility risk. And crypto and DeFi are so unique from finance perspective because it is the first time ever possible we can create a finance system without credit risk. That doesn't mean the entire system, right? but that means you know, some part of the system we could achieve that. Credit risk is complicated and it is caused by uncertainties brought by human behaviors. So traditional finance operates in information asymmetric world, we rely on centralized nodes for their trust and the the product and services they provide. However, because of the nature of information asymmetry, you know, we can never know exactly what are happening behind those nodes. Just like we can never calculate, you know, when Lehman collapse or when a P2P lending company runs away. Even though, you know, like for geniuses at long-term capital, right, they can build perfect financial models around price movements, but they cannot calculate the probability of Russian bond default accurately. But when we move to crypto, Ethereum and the public chains create a trust-based environment where people can get safety and the certainty that they don't get in the physical world. So once the condition is triggered, the trade will be executed for sure. This system is not controlled by anybody because it removes all the risk and uncertainties associated with human behavior, right? So that makes DeFi automatic financial system running without human interventions, right? So in an information symmetric world, all the risk and the reward structure can be seen clearly and calculated. And to me, this is a real paradigm shift in finance, as finance is all about pricing risk and the risk management. It doesn't mean, you know, every part of finance in this system has to be running without credit risk, but will make this you know, possible, right? I understand there are other benefits brought by DeFi as well, including permissionless and composability. But these features that can actually achieve the today just with the regulations from the financial system today. The power of trustless finance, I think is the most disruptive force for this DeFi revolution, because that's just not possible, right? In hundreds of years of finance history.
0: Yeah, I want to go deeper into your point about this information symmetric world that is DeFi. You know, I'm reading a book right now that talks about the new economics of information and, and how this transforms business strategy. And in particular, this book points out the trade-off society, you know, once had between information richness and reach. And information richness was based on the existence of lots of information channels, which generates asymmetries of information, right? And that's what we've seen in the traditional financial world. Mm. A lot of these channels were physical infrastructures, but digital networks came along and are enabling us to transfer lots of rich information with much wider reach. Um, So it kind of erodes this richness versus reach trade-off. And so now we have both, Mm -hmm. basically, and this is most evidence in the internet, right? Mm -hmm. And this is creating new economics of information, which are being driven by increasing connectivity and adoption of new information standards, making the shift from closed proprietary systems to what you just talked about, Mm -hmm. which are open interoperable systems, Mm -hmm. and again, this is very evident in the development of the internet and all the applications that we see on top, like email, for example. Mm -hmm. So in this information-symmetric world of DeFi that you talk about, what do you see is the driver of competitive advantage for DeFi systems that we see today?
1: Mm. I think it's fundamentally changed the world and to move the whole system to next level. Right. Every time when we have paradigm shift is companies with higher efficiency replace company with lower efficiency. Right. So every time when the paradigm shift happens, that means, you know, society and the businesses run at significantly higher efficiency with a linear organizational structure and cost structure. But this time, right, it's completely different. Right, it's not company with high efficiency, you know, replacing us. It's actually going to be, you know, a set of decentralized network and the protocols going to replace us. This brings us, you know, the whole human society into a new era, which is, you know, runs from cooperative type of business relationships to non-cooperative decentralized networks. Right, it's very hard to build trust in the world we have today. People need to. Uh, you know, work with each other over a long period of time, and then you can build trust. You can build business relationships. But in decentralized network running on Bitcoin and Ethereum, nobody needs to trust nobody. That means entire society can actually run at much lower transaction cost overall. You don't need to know everybody, anybody in that system, but you can actually, you know, trade and work with everybody there. Yeah, you talked
0: about these non-cooperative mechanisms in DeFi. If we zoom out, what are some of these larger incentive mechanisms that enable you know, non-cooperation versus the more forced collaboration that we see in the existing world today as sort of outside
1: of decentralized networks? Mm, it's the mechanism design right, of the token economics built into every decentralized network and the protocol that to make it possible, make it happen.
0: When we think about really what DeFi enables, I think it's this idea of deconstruction, which in the same book that I mentioned earlier, talks about the dismantling of business structure, which really stems from the separation of the economics of information from the economics of things, as well as, again, this erasing of the information richness and, and reach trade-off. And to give an example here, which you know, everyone tuning in will, will know is the example of the newspaper industry and how digital gradually started to melt the glue that bound the newspaper value chain. Um, and again, separating the economics of things, which is such as the newspaper publishing company, you know, printing presses, from the information itself, the news, the contents. And this book talked about how the deconstruction doesn't occur immediately and just sort of erase an entire industry. What really is the threat, instead of this total immediate substitution, is like the gradual erosion of business through a sequence of minor substitutions And I think this is exactly what we're starting to see in crypto and DeFi. It's this gradual deconstruction of traditional financial structures, starting with the retail banking side of things. So given your background as a banker, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on where in the finance value stack you see open sourced blockchain based technology disrupting. And how you see this disruption sequencing to other parts of the ecosystem over time?
1: Right, okay. I think, you know, this back to the point we discussed earlier, this non-cooperative organizational business structure on chain, that means DeFi is anonymous contract to contract system, right? So you, you don't need to know anybody in that system, and then you can just, you know, trade with them. Right, and uh, you can buy and sell, you know, whatever financial products, right? Because you know the smart contract actually guarantees that will be executed for sure once the condition is met. I envision this DeFi system will become the liquidity backbone of next generation global financial system. That's a system that enable all the businesses, all the consumers can trade with each other without even knowing who their counterparties are things can run without even counterparty risk and the credit risk. I think this is super superior. N- analogy is, I think, DeFi's impact to the global financial system and oh, even you know, blockchain in general, right? What it's going to do uh, to finance is just like car going to replace you know, the horse. But DeFi and CeFi, uh, we see them will coexist uh, you know, for long term. Right. Not one to replace another uh, is DeFi and Cfi collectively. They're going to eat traditional finance um, and uh, DeFi and Cfi, um, you know, I think both systems have their own advantages and disadvantages. And uh, because of the technical infrastructure is very different. So they are deemed to serve different use cases. We just need to do the right thing on the right system for DeFi because of build on-chain Right. Blockchain is a relatively a slow and expensive system. And even the timescale is very different from C5 world. Things run by per block. Right. Basically on Ethereum today, it's like 13 to 15 seconds per block. So there, there are certain sets of things that work very well uh, in DeFi system, uh, like lending, right? And for lending, basically that's very low frequency transactions. Right, and this relatively large ticket size and also low frequency, right? That's works perfect with DeFi because, you know, you don't need to take credit risk. You don't need to take counterparty risk and you don't need to pay a lot of fees to your intermediaries, right? To guarantee that transaction. So we see lending really boom, right? On chain. The other thing, you know, which has obviously, you know, have standout is AMM automated. Uh, market making model on chain that's a more superior model than uh, other book type of decks because when you do other book type of decks it actually requires market makers to help you to do the mismatching of real traders coming in at different time to buy and sell their orders. so it's super important for market makers who can place order, withdraw order quickly uh, to do that mismatch for DeFi, running on-chain, is just not feasible, right? Because it's, it's very slow and expensive system. For Huobi, uh, you know, when your market makers come here, every time when they place order, withdraw order, settle order, they need to pay gas fees, right? For that kind of level of transaction cost, it's just not happening. Right, so we see a lot of other book type of uh, DEXs in the ecosystem, but I think you know they probably run in a very niche market, right? And on the other side, right, automated market maker for product like Uniswap, right, really had, you know, amazing growth over time because they don't need to deal with this, make it easier for market makers to provide their liquidity, right, and just wait for the traders come to buy and sell trade against them.
0: What do you think is the largest constraint right now in DeFi, and you can even talk about it within the context of AMMs, since I know that you, you do a lot of uh, work in terms of research um, around these AMM designs, right? You believe these financial transactions need to be priced at market prices. Right. So can you talk about any constraints you see at the moment regarding that? And we can then kind of go into talking about the logic holes that you see in this space, which revolve around pricing risk and risk management.
1: Yeah. Finance is just transactions based on prices. In finance industry, it's common sense. When you build financial products, uh, you need to get the pricing right in terms of how you do the price feed. And also, you know, you have to make sure there are proper risk management built into the product. If you don't, someone will come here to arbitrage the players in this market and the economic rational players going to withdraw from the market that will make the product shrink over time or make the product only work for a niche regional market. I think Uniswap has done extremely well for the AMM sector, right? It's amazing innovation and it's, you know, very simple product and it's very successful by finding its product market fit for providing liquidity and trading for long-tail assets. However, we think this is probably only the stage one of AMM, right? I think the fundamental problem with the model is they use a bond curve to do pricing, right? And um, that's very hard for the economic rational uh, market makers, because when they come here to provide liquidity, they could lose money due to uh, impermanent loss. It's also very hard for real traders to come here to buy and sell tokens, because if you want to buy and sell tokens more than 1% of the liquidity pool, it costs you know, a big slippage, right? And it is also hard you know, for liquid assets right? Because liquid assets have very good pricing and liquidity support elsewhere, right? That means that Uniswap pricing could be constantly off the market prices, and uh, market makers could be continuously arbitraged, you know, when the market prices move. So, you know, Uniswap works for, you know, certain use cases, long tail assets, project teams come here to provide liquidity to their own community, to their long long tail traders. And beyond that, we see it's, it's pretty hard. A Huobi DeFi Labs, we have done a lot of research into this area. So we actually invested in a project called CoFix, uh, C-O-F-I-X, uh, along with Coinbase and Dragonfly Capital. Um, CoFix is a revolutionary uh, AMM model which uses price codes from Nest Oracle. And this makes CoFix a generic, and generalize the market-making model that actually can work for all market-makers, traders, and all type of assets. Because every transaction is price and market prices, right? That just makes it fair game for everybody involved into this product. And then we do see the liquid assets actually are dominant uh, in any financial market, right? And just like in a hobby, uh, you know, majority of our trading comes from liquid assets And also in traditional finance, and I think liquid assets take majority of the trading volume and the market share, right? Long-tail assets are only, you know, very marginal portion in the market in terms of trading turnover and market share.
0: Hey, Stackers, I wanted to let you know that Amber Group has just rolled out our new mobile app. The Amber app is designed to help you achieve optimal investment returns through market-leading interest rate products, yield enhancement, and risk management tools, all in one application. Right now, when you refer a friend, you can earn 30% of your friend's trading fees and 10% of your friend's interest earnings. Your friend will also earn 10% extra interest. Plus, new Amber app users are able to earn 16% APR on select Bitcoin and Ethereum time deposits. Invite your friends and start earning rewards together. Amber is your gateway to crypto finance. Download the Amber app in select Apple and Android app stores today. I do want to formalize the concept of impermanent loss because I think this is the core reason why there are so many new designs, you know, such as Kofix coming online to solve this problem that a lot of AMMs have, right? So, could you define impermanent loss and why it's such an important issue to fix within these AMM systems?
1: I think impermanent loss is very simple to understand. Even though when there's no trading, just when the outside market prices move, the market makers in Uniswap are required to put in you know, liquidity as a trading pair and to in you know, fixed proportion. According to the existing pool, right requires. So when the outside uh, market prices move, and uh, your pricing in Uniswap differ from the outside market prices, so someone will come here to buy and sell a token against you. Uh, and at the same time, it help the pricing to come back to where market prices are. But that actually is subsidized by the you know liquidity makers, right? The liquidity providers actually, you know, subsidize for that, right? Because nothing changed in the pool, but the outside price changed, right? So, but, you know, the arbitrator will help you to get the prices in line with, you know, the market prices, who going to subsidize for that, right? It is market makers. Mm-hmm. That's why you know, we talk to all of our top market makers in the system. We talk them through, you know, all different type of taxes, including other type, other book type of taxes and also AMM. None of these guys going to be, you know, market makers in the AMM using bond curve algorithm pricing, right? Because no one wants to pay for that potential losses.
0: And so, one way that new AMMs are designing themselves, I guess, are using external price oracles. Um, I know this has been a pretty hot topic because the issue of correct pricing is a potential attack vector that all market makers, you know, think about when they go into the market, right? And and this isn't really the case in CFI when all of the prices are just on an order book. And so when you talk about an AMM, which has to rely on an external Oracle, COFIX, right, relies on Nest, an external decentralized Oracle. Can you talk about the, the risk there, you know, needing to rely on an external player uh, versus Uniswap, which just relies on the bond curve pricing within the ecosystem itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we need to talk about price discovery first and which system is more effective at doing price discovery, C5 or DeFi. Price discovery for capital markets actually is an extreme pace of auctions. But when we didn't have this IT system, price discovery was done at the stock exchange trading floor. People auctioned against each other right, to do price discovery. And when finance went from you know, trading floor to centralized the IT system, it made it possible to do discovery through this scalable and efficient IT system. Right? So basically that requires all the traders in the market to trade against each other. The noise traders, the information traders, the high-frequency traders, the value traders, right? Everyone trade with each other so we can do that price determination at every single moment. This actually requires very scalable and cost-effective, efficient IT infrastructure, just like what we have on the centralized servers today. Uh, but when we go to dexes, because it's consensus-based distributed system, It's pretty hard and expensive for people to trade against each other. It's just not possible for all type of traders to pull in that capital to trade against each other like what they do in CFI system. So DeFi in general is very hard to do price discovery. It's just about the logics, which system is most superior at doing what. So Nest is very smart. They basically take the price discovery results in CFI system and get them into a DeFi system. And uh, you know, their mechanism design underlying there is a super elegant. It just make that, you know, the results uh, of price discovery in CFI into DeFi and you know, make sure every price code is verified and it's solid and it's safe to be fit into the downstream DeFi applications. And the, compared to Uniswap, for price discovery on Uniswap. It is helpful for long-tail assets, but it is very expensive. It actually require uh, liquidity providers continuously to subsidize the entire system to make that price discovery happen. And also it's just not possible, right? It's, it's, it's just not competitive to compare to its peers in CFI system, right? And um, so, you know, like Uniswap, it requires super good uh, liquidity support in the trading pair, in the liquidity pool, to make the price discovery even possible, or you know, or even close uh, to what C5 can do, but for Cofix, even though you just have you know $100 in the liquidity pool, and then you can make sure every trade can be priced at market prices, but in Uniswap, to make that happen, you probably need to you know, to have you know a super sizable uh, liquidity pool at the back end to make that possible. Mm. I'm just talking about to achieve the same results and require very different level of resources backing behind. And also, you know, it's a very different cost structure right, to do the same thing. So who will be the winner? I think whoever solved the problem the best and the most cost effective.
0: On Ness, how exactly does the price verification happen?
1: Right. It relies on its miners community, right? So say when, Let's take an example, Ethereum price is at $350 US right now. So the miners actually need to put in, you know, certain amount of Ethereum and USD stable point into the smart contract. And when they put the real money into the smart contract they need to wait for a verification period because of the technical infrastructure of Ethereum right now. So it requires 25 blocks, around five minutes for this pricing to be verified. So if the pricing is off the market prices, other miners or verifiers, arbitrages in the ecosystem can come to take that order away. But when they take the order away, at the same time, they need to put in double amount, the order into the smart contract and wait for another twenty five blocks verification period. So this is the way how the mechanism design to make sure the verification mechanism is safe. And so they can lead to verified prices and safe prices for downstream uh, DeFi protocol to use. Say if you want to attack Nest, right? You want to attack the pricing, right? There are two ways you can do it. Either you put in a wrong price yourself, but mm-hmm. you know, as long as there is arbitrage opportunity out there, other miners and verifiers will come to take it, right? Or you can, you know, take. The correct prices, you know, other people put into the system, and you try to manipulate that and put in a wrong price yourself, right? So you put in double amount of money, but your order going to be taken by the other miners, right? And uh, you know, at the same time, other people need to put in, you know, four times the money, right? And this, the same thing uh, works on both. So you know, the cost of attack to attack next prices goes up exponentially. And that's, you know, how do they make sure the system can lead to safe prices and the rock-solid prices. I think it's just super smart. So there is a big mining community around Nest to do pricing, feed, mining, and also, you know, to do the verification because whenever there's someone trying to attack the system, you go there and verify that and you actually just take profit straight away.
0: And how often do these price feeds update
1: then? Um, I think the, the quality of the next prices really depends on how strong the community is, right? It's, this, this works exactly the same way as Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? For decentralized community, the more stronger your community is, right? And uh, you know, the more robust uh, mm. you know, the community is, and actually that's, that's improve your quality of services. Right. since so for Bitcoin ethereum when their market cap is at 100 million it is very different animal from what when they are you know a billion 10 billion or even a 100 billion right because you know it does improve the quality of services so next uh, price code has come down significantly over the last year I think it comes down from like one price code every 100 blocks down to you know it is around 10. Today, so that price is, is at very high quality today, and uh, we look into um, the pricing volatility, the deviation uh, to you know the pricing from the centralized exchanges, and I think the variation it only comes around like zero point three percent. So you know that's pretty good price for DeFi to use. That works for most of the use cases on chain.
0: So is it fair to characterize at this point in time? that nest as an oracle is perhaps constrained to the block time of the ethereum blockchain I and mean, there's like always you know block time issues um given the scalability factor of ethereum right now but is is that a, a concern that the team is aware of and will build on other blockchains over time or how do you think about that as an investor
1: i think um nest pricing right and uh... Uh, does rely on a number of things, right? The robustness of the community, right? Next the prices and also the underlying technical infrastructure. I think the pricing has improved significantly. It comes at very good quality, you know, uh, to be used right now. And of course it can be improved further, right? As, you know, the community grows stronger and also the technical infrastructure improves, right? But what we can see is DeFi is a different system from C-Fi. So we can't require the pricing in DeFi system to be exactly the same as C-Fi because it is you know, a, a, diff- it's a parallel system running at different timescale. So what are the effective prices in DeFi ecosystem? It is the pricing that cannot be arbitraged You know what I mean, right? So you have the same pricing in you know, two systems, but if there is arbitrage opportunity, that means it's not effective pricing. If it, is, it cannot be arbitraged, it means it is effective pricing, right? So even for every single moment, you look at different centralized exchanges, the pricing you know, in different exchanges you know, are slightly different. When the big collapse happened on 12th of March, early this year, for Binance and the Hobby, the pricing at the same time can vary 3 you know, to 4% every single moment. During that day. The reason behind that is it cannot be arbitraged for effective pricing. I think DeFi is a new system running at a very different production environment. It's information symmetric versus information asymmetric. It's time running per block versus time running on continuous basis. It is low and expensive compared with, you know, high scalability and the very minimum IT transaction cost. So, you know, when we look at DeFi, we should really think about, you know, what are the right products and the strategic opportunities should be built on that system, right? What are the unique strengths coming out of this system rather than just trying to build everything, you know, in CFI system and just build a bunch of products, just, you know, CFI running on blockchain.
0: You know, there's a lot of competition for liquidity providers when it comes to AMMs in general, they're always fighting to get liquidity, right? To to run these liquidity pools. So how do you think AMMs uh, such as CoFix, for example, can improve the incentivization mechanisms for liquidity providers for the long-term?
1: Yeah, I think for liquidity providers, basically they need two things, right? They want to make as much money as possible and that they want to control their risk. The feedback I have got from a lot of the, the market makers, uh, they're very excited about COFIX is, firstly, they don't have impermanent loss in COFIX because every transaction is priced off uh, market prices. And the second thing is about capital efficiency, right? When you think about Uniswap, basically for market makers to put money there, they stay there to earn, um, to earn commissions. Right. But Uniswap actually you know, runs a very low capital efficiency. For the rational traders come here to buy and sell, they only buy and sell 1% of that liquidity pool because that's close to market pricing. For any bigger chunk of tokens, that actually costs a very high slippage. Right? So for every trade that only takes use 1% of capital in the liquidity pool. Right? So for market makers, right, their return on every trade is like 0.3% times 1% of their capital. So the commission they can earn on every trade is very minimum. But on COFIX, because they don't run this as the bonding curve, traders, they can come here to buy big chunk of tokens. You can buy one Ethereum or or you can buy, you know, 400 Ethereum. It's exactly the same pricing, right? So Mm -hmm. it's, very efficient use of capital. So it's very attractive, you know, for institutional level and the professional market makers. That's why we actually saw the capital locked into COFIX exceeded 100 million from day one.
0: How long has it been
1: live for already? I think it's a week. It's still, you know, around like 80 million today. Actually, it's very efficient. You don't need a huge liquidity pool to do, you know, effective and uh, fair trade. It's a very efficient use of capital. Professional uh, market makers love it. For traders who want to buy large chunk of tokens, they love it.
0: So we went deep down into the AMM uh, rabbit hole, and I'd like to just zoom out a bit and have a look at the DeFi Labs portfolio, kind of where you guys are headed down the line, it seems like there is a large focus on infrastructure right now, but kind of looking at the rest of your portfolio, can you talk about what other parts of the ecosystem are interesting to you and that you are currently doing more research on?
1: I joined be about four three months by now. The vision we have at Hobby Defi Labs, we think the entire DeFi space need to be rebuilt. I think there are some, you know, amazing products and uh, uh, you know, brilliant experimentations out there. But we still think, you know, most of the DeFi protocols are only valid today because of liquidity mining. And uh, for DeFi to move from, you know, a niche market to a serious, um, you know, financial market, right, to work for Big dollar, right? And uh, because we know a lot of int- institutional capital are looking into the space and to see where they can place their capital, right? And for DeFi to become um, a real financial market, even the next generation global financial system, right? And uh, I think the entire space need to need to evolve, right? And uh, some you know really fundamental problems need to be solved, like pricing. For every transaction out there, the pricing needs to be right. I think the real meaning of DeFi is automated financial system running without human intervention. And uh, for institutions who will place multi millions of dollars, even billions of dollars into this you know, on, on anonymous contract to contract system, if there's anything goes wrong, they have no one to claim against it. So they have to make sure that the pricing is correct because of you know the mechanism design and align it, right? They're not going to take pricing risk, you know, from certain individuals or a small group of individuals, right? That's the way how traditional finance works. That's the way how you rely on centralized nodes for their trust and the product services they provide, you know, in traditional finance. DeFi system for this to work for institutional capital, everything needs to be rely on. Uh, mechanism design, the game theory behind that will make sure every pricing is correct and is rock solid, not any individual. So you know, look at the entire space. Uh, we're pretty excited about Nest because it's the only oracle can actually solve the problem in uh, you know, a decentralized manner. The mechanism will ensure every price is rock solid, and also you know that has the potential to support trillion dollars of market downstream. But next, the community need to continue to continuously grow um, in size. And also, they need to have a you know, stronger mining market. Um, and the other thing about DeFi I think you know, that's lacking is you know, risk management. This is not done correctly. Right? And uh, I think the serious professional players are not going to come in. If the pricing is done by algorithm, not by the market prices, I know that you know professional market makers not going to be there. EMM uh, just one example, right? And there are many others that need to be fixed. You can't design a financial product with arbitrage opportunities and holes everywhere. No one wants to lose money, right? Everyone wants to protect their capital and come here to look for return. And also, you know, the other points uh, have been discussed widely by the community around underlying smart contract technology, and also smart contract security, all these elements together that set the foundation for DeFi to evolve from 1.0 to 2.0. We want to lead that wave. As we wrap up here, I did
0: want to touch on Huobi's larger mission, which you mentioned in the beginning, is to provide the best crypto finance products and services to users, regardless if it's CFI or DeFi, you do have an emphasis on bridging these two ecosystems together. But what I find very, very interesting in terms of Huobi's take on this is not building any DeFi products in-house, at least that's the case at the moment, and really focusing on just kind of bridging these two ecosystems and supporting the DeFi projects through investing in them. So can you talk about the reasoning behind this and how this sort of sets you apart from your other competitors? Mm-hmm.
1: I think our vision uh, comes from our understanding uh, of the nature of CFI and DeFi, right? And uh, both systems have their own advantages and disadvantages. Each system is deemed to serve the best use cases they are suited for. Right. And Hobby's mission is to provide best crypto financial product and services to our user base. We want to provide the best CFI products, and we want to, you know, lead our users to the best DeFi products out there as well. Right? There's no point we have to build DeFi uh, ourselves just for the reason that DeFi is popular. DeFi is not just a product that belongs to certain people or company right? That's empowered by the entire ecosystem. And it's really about decentralization. So we have to respect the nature and the underlying logics of each business. So we choose not to build DeFi and, uh, like some of our competitors do, which we see are really just, you know, C5 running on blockchain. Hobbies issued this H-series assets. We have H-BTC, H-Filecoin, H-DOT, We, you know, help the DeFi world by providing quality assets into the system to help our market makers, help our, you know, average users into the best products and provide them, you know, with the assets they can trade with. We create our value during this process. That's what we want to do, right? For ourselves, for our users, also for the entire DeFi and the crypto ecosystem.
0: Yeah, and and just one last point here because this is something that I think about a lot as we see this world head towards more digitization, you know, increasing access to uh, various financial products, right? It's this theme of financial inclusion. DeFi's goal is to abstract away the complexities that come with financial transactions and and that's what we've been talking about during the course of this conversation, but I still think DeFi precludes a lot of the world's population, right? Because a lot of people still don't know about crypto, let alone this burgeoning, you know, corner of the industry, which is the DeFi ecosystem. And, you know, it really does require that people participating have basic necessities such as the internet and and money, right? To begin with. The ease of doing transactions in DeFi, I would say, come with a lot of risks as well at this point in time which different projects like the ones that you are invested in are starting to solve for but i would be curious to hear your thoughts about the way that DeFi really is able to drive financial inclusion over the coming years
1: yes and uh, i think this bring finance to the next era right i think finance the industry has been around over hundreds of years it's just never possible to run this system on automated fashion, right? And also without human intervention, right? And the, this is the part actually, you know, I'm most excited about. Actually, I'm not 100% clear what kind of world DeFi will bring us into. You know, the efficiency and also the nature of, you know, and this could be a run, uh, automated uh, manner without human intervention. That's actually, you know, Totally lead it to unexplored territory. And I don't think, you know, DeFi is just about USDT running uh, on blockchain, right? <laughs> and that's just an extension of how finance works today, but at a bigger market. The real disruptive power for this technology uh, revolution from what I see from finance perspective is, you know, we're going into a system that's can go much more beyond humans understanding and the control. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah no, that's a It's a nice way to wrap up uh, this conversation, Sherilyn. I very much enjoyed going over all of these thoughts that you have about DeFi as you're on the ground looking at various projects coming up um, in this space, which will lead us into this next era of of DeFi 2.0. I would love for you to let our audience know where they can connect with you on social media to learn more about Huobi DeFi Labs and also about any personal uh, work that, that you publish on crypto.
1: Yeah, can find me on um, Shaolin Wu at Medium. I have some of personal writings and posts there. And for Huobi DeFi Labs, uh, we have a website, huobidefilabs.com, I think. Uh, And we publish uh, our research and also update uh, on the work we have done, including, you know, our portfolios built up there. So, yeah. Thank you for having me, Leslie. I really enjoyed the conversation as well.
0: As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google and anchor.fm slash crypto unstacked. Also, check out our Crypto Unstack YouTube channel. I'll provide details in the show notes. Until next time, take care Unstackers and see you at the next episode.